Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your inflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, throughout all generations. May he be like rain falling on the moon filled, like the showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Praise be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to the glorious name forever. May, okay. may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. 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 Okay. <laughs> Good job. Good job. That's awesome. Uh, wow. Okay, so um, thank you guys for being here. My name's Trey. For those of you that I, I don't know yet, um, uh, hi. Uh, Jen said on the way up here, she goes, it's been a minute. And I'm like, I have talked more recently than you, so I don't know. I think... It's probably been six or eight months for me. But uh, Christmas is coming, right? Christmas is coming. Celebrating the, the, the birth of a child king. And if it could only be that simple. See, Christmas has become <clears throat> way more complicated than that for many of us. This is, uh, this is a day when we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of the Son of God. And it's not really any of our faults that it's become more but we've grown up with this countdown, and I was telling Patrick in the first service, who is usually a second service guy, I was telling Patrick, whose dad is Santa Claus, uh, that this is, this is just so much. I mean, there's, there's countdowns going on. Walmart's having their Black Friday. What's the thing on Monday? Cyber Monday. Uh, consume, consume, consume. This is, a, this is a season where you have Christmas trees for sale on every corner. You've got parties to go to, people to see people that are coming and going, you're traveling for the holidays, and it just seems like the opposite of peace, right? Um, but for, for, for many of us, nothing, nothing robs our peace as much as uh, that dreaded uh, trip to the parents, maybe. Whatever it is, it's, it's the, being around the table with folks who, who, uh, who love us, but that somehow have a way of demeaning us or making us feel uh, belittled or, or be subjected to their beliefs. Um, granted, we love these people or we wouldn't be at the table or have invited them to ours, but the thought of having to defend ourselves or who we love or what we believe it just seems daunting a lot of times. And we, Jenny and I were talking last night, this anxiety is just the, is building. Um, and we're going to see her family, which I don't think they'll listen to the podcast. Um, no chance. They don't even know what podcasts are. Um, but we're going to Alabama. See, that makes sense then, right? But we're, <laughs> but we're, going, we're going to Alabama, and, and there's just this, there's, there's this anxiety that's building up. And um, 
it's, it's real and it's present. Um, it, it's actually something that, that maybe not consuming, but it is something that we think about. And so, but it's ironic, I think, that, we, that we're celebrating the Prince of Peace when peace seems so elusive. Advent's about anticipation and preparing our hearts for the arrival of the child of God, born in a manger. And we want to look at how best to do that while constant source of negative anticipation rivals our headspace and our heart space. And then we're going to see what we can glean from Scripture that would help us to give us real hope. I hope at the end of our time today that, that we have a, a few tools maybe that we can use as we head into the season. And as Jason mentioned last week, we're, we're in the second week of Advent. Last week, uh, he talked about peace within society. Today, we're going to be talking about peace within family. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about peace within ourselves. So let's, before we get real good and started, let's pray real quick. Father, just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it guides us and directs us and gives us hope. I pray in this season, Father, that we are uh, reflections of you to our family, that we are, that we are um, pointing people to you, that hope is not in us, but it is in you. And so we thank you for inviting us into that space. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So um, there's many scriptures that, that uh, talk about living in peace. And today's reading uh, from the lectionary will give us a glimpse uh, toward Jesus, that peace, and his kingdom. And if you'll follow with me on the screen, we're going to be reading out of Isaiah. And I think we've got the right version up there this time. Last service, it was like I was reading Greek. Uh, no, not really. I don't know Greek. But anyway, I, I was reading the different scripture, but this time it's right. So, a green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump. From his roots, a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him. The spirit that brings wisdom and understanding. The spirit that gives direction and builds strength. The spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances won't decide on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll put on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. The wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze from the same pasture, and their calves and cubs grow up together. And the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over the rattlesnake dens, and the toddler will stick his hand down in the hole of the serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive a living knowledge of God, ocean deep, ocean wide. On that day, Jesse's root will be raised high, posted as a rallying banner for the peoples. The nations will all come to him, and his headquarters will be glorious. So there's really two things that jumped out to me when I first read through this passage. And one is that this book was written over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Yet the prophecies point to the, to the man of Jesus it talks about his lineage. It talks about 
how he will lead. It talks about how he will judge. And it talks about who he will go to battle for and include at his table. And it talks about who he will topple. Then I'm also fascinated with this kind of peace that his kingdom will usher in. These images of peace are so audacious that they're really hard to comprehend. They don't even make sense. And honestly, it's understandable that the Jews in this time and this day who were looking forward to this Messiah, in his prophecy, it sounds like after years of slavery in Egypt and after captivity in Babylon and Assyria, that finally, finally after Roman rule and reign, that the Messiah would come and lead them. But as we know, Jesus didn't usher in the kind of kingdom that the Jews believed to be coming for over 2,000 years. So no wonder they rejected Jesus as Messiah. But here we are another 2,000 years later, and the idea of the wolf and the lamb living in peace and a child safely putting his hand in the den of snakes seems just crazy. But here is that idea that, is, that as audacious as these things sound, that this is the kind of peace that Jesus brings or will eventually bring. So how do we navigate peace among wolves and snakes and family members? Um, what makes the most sense to me, what makes the most sense to me when it talks about literal wolves, literal snakes is strict avoidance, right? We don't have that luxury with family. And I will say this, if you're in a dangerous situation, this is kind of an aside. If you're in a dangerous situation, if you're being abused, if you're being neglected in any way, um, strict avoidance may be your best option. Simply stay away. Also make others aware of the danger. Um, There's safety in numbers, and who better than a loving faith community? And if you don't tell someone in your faith community, tell someone. I think it's important that you let someone know. Because living at peace doesn't mean subjecting yourself to abuse. It doesn't mean subjecting yourself to physical, emotional, or spiritual harm. So please hear me. While I believe this scripture and this, this message applies to all of us, it doesn't apply to all of us equally, okay? But if you've been hurt maybe in the past or uh, by someone who you're no longer under their roof or under their control, um, I think it's good to work toward resolution, and we can find peace in that. A couple of weeks ago, as we were heading into Thanksgiving, I sent out an email. And in that email, I joked about my crazy aunt. Did anybody get that email? Y'all remember that? Um, that somehow, if we can get through Thanksgiving Day without the crazy aunt calling you a derogatory name, uh, that you could chalk that up as a success. And, uh, well, that joke was born in truth. Um, my, my sister got a hold of the email. She gets, she's on her mailing list, and she showed that to my aunt for Thanksgiving, and then, I, and then I got a video of my aunt, and she, she called me a derogatory name, <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. I thought about playing it, but it was, it's all in good fun. We've, we, there's water under the bridge now. But I want to share, share you guys a, a personal story about um, my family and, and pain associated with it. So right out of college, I started a business with my first cousin. And our parents, this crazy aunt, had been in business together for years. So it just seemed right that, that my cousin and I go into business together. And we did really well financially. And by the time we were seven years in and still less than 30 years old, we were living the dream. I mean, really, living the dream. Um, 
until one day I found out that our 50-50 partnership wasn't really 50-50, like I'd imagined. And I questioned him about it, and then he cooked the books that I had previously copied when I became suspicious. Well, at that point, all hell broke loose. Uh, A verbal explosion was followed by physical altercation and subsequent divorce to our two families. And I use the word divorce, though I've never been divorced. I, I, having seen it and, and seen people go through it, I feel like it applies. The betrayal, distrust, and broken allegiances all came crashing down and there was no reparation. We dissolved the business and we walked away from each other. That might have been okay, but then there were our parents who had been partners for 25 years with each other in business and they followed suit and it just really got ugly after that. And we weren't just close before this. Our moms were sisters. They still are. And we moved to Corpus because of them. And when we were kids, we did dinner every Friday night at Ship Ahoy. And we'd ride in the station wagon together, eight of us. Two adults, adults table, kids table. We traveled to Europe together when I was 15 years old. Um, And once when we were building our first house, we lived with them. And then when later on, when we were both building new houses. We lived together in a rented space. Eight of us, plus my dying grandmother, plus two dogs and one cat and two maids. And two maids is a different story, but I'll tell you all that later. I mean, you can't let one of them go. Um, So there we were, nine of us under one roof and 2,500 square feet with four bedrooms. We were tight. I mean, our families were close and we were tight in that house too. But there was this feeling uh, of divorce where there was once fun and stories and memories and joking and whatever. Now there was ugliness and distrust and not speaking to each other in the same small town and still running around the same people. But eventually I wanted to experience joy and peace again. And Jenny and I were, were several years removed from this. Still no talking between families, still no reparations, still no apologies, no nothing Their family was living life, and so were we, but on my end, there was no peace. I allowed my rage to fester and grow, and it was eating at me, and when I went to see a pastor at a church that I didn't even go to yet, he showed me where to achieve peace, and I needed to forgive. He told me that. He quoted Romans 12, 18. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I said, yeah, but he hasn't even asked for forgiveness. He really hurt me. Financially, it hurt. But the real toll was on broken relationship. And as far as I could tell from the outside, they were doing great. And we were struggling. And what really made me mad was that that made sense to me, that I should forgive. And as much as I wanted him to feel the same pain that I, could, that I did, I knew that he wouldn't. I knew him. I knew that he wouldn't feel it. So I was hurt, and Jenny and I were reeling from the hardship of our young family, and I was seeing the toll that it took on my parents, and the fallout from lives intertwined for 20 years in business, plus 50 years just of being sisters, all crumbled as if it didn't even matter. And it started with me, and I felt burden, the burden of that. And now I'm simply supposed to forgive? This didn't make any sense. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So even though I was super prideful and indignant about the situation, now I was the hurt party 
I began to pray for God to show me how to forgive even when forgiveness wasn't sought. And then one day, months later, after, after all this prayer, I realized I'd forgiven him. Somehow, don't ask me, I had forgiven him. Um, but I no longer had that animosity toward him. Actually, I felt bad for him. I began to play out scenarios in my mind that made him come to the point in our relationship and whatever he was dealing with to where he felt like he had to do that. Like he must have been in a very bad place. Where once I had been cut down and only a stump remained, this new sprig of green life popped up. Where there was once a dead dream, now there was new hope. In this dark place in my heart that felt dead and discarded, now there was new life. Jesus was healing me of my own bitterness. Then life throws curveballs. My dad got sick. And life itself has this way of making us realize what's important. Family. Olive branches were extended and while... While still uh, things being different, there was this way forward of healing for both families. Look, I know my scenario in the grand scheme of things isn't as bad as some. Um, but honestly, I've sterilized it a bit. And when you're in the middle of it, it just feels horrible. Each one of us have our own stories and our own wounds. And generally, those we're closest to have the opportunity to hurt us the most. And it's during this time of year that we're supposed to buck up little soldier and go sit around the table with the people that have done this damage. So if sitting at the table with your politically hostile dad makes you want to crawl into a hole and die, or if the thoughts of your life under the microscope and your brow and Bible-beating siblings or extended family just gives you hives, then you're not alone. Most of us have some sort of apprehensions around this time of year and, and all of our family dysfunction. But this shouldn't keep us from being the best complete version of ourselves. As God's image bears, those of us who claim the name of Jesus, as we think about this time of peace, and specifically peace in the family, we should consider strategies that we're going to put in place in volatile or heated situations. And I was fortunate enough to have my family back at home last night. My daughter and son-in-law were in from Houston, and my son and his wife were over on the patio last night, and we were, we were bouncing back and forth. And they confirmed a lot of what I was already thinking and added to some of these strategies that we might have as we go out. And there's five of them. Five things to remember. Five, five things to relearn as we're supposed to keep peace or be peacemakers in our families. One is this. It's a spiritual nature. We can't change our family. I mean, you can choose your friends. No, wait. Pick your friend. Never mind. Anyway, I just think about it. But when, when dealing with our family, when dealing with the button pushers, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't respond out of anger or snark. We should rive, rise above with dignity and self-respect and pray that God gives us a perspective to see them in new eyes. There's also the, the need to come prepared um, remain cool and calm. Decide your best response to the inevitable questions, to the inevitable whatever it is, whatever that sets you off the most and they know it and they're going to push it. Come with a, a response that you're prepared for. I think a lot of our discomfort comes from being blindsided. We shouldn't be blindsided. And then in response, don't trigger. We shouldn't use trigger words to make our talking points. We should know and believe what we believe. 
And instead of anger and rage, how about pity? I, I used that last night, and Jenny's like, oh, no, not pity. But I think it is pity because uh, the person trying to inflict the pain is usually a hurt person, right? You've all heard hurt people hurt people. Be grateful that you're not in the space they're in. For the other 364 days a year, you're healthy, joyful, and whole, and there's nothing they can do to rob you of that. And then lead, lead with peace. Be a change agent. Think of how can I inject love and warmth into this situation? How can I remain engaged and show that I am unfazed by their words or action? Try to steer the conversation out of the ditch instead of into. Be more lighthearted. Have lighthearted discussions or talk about family memories. These are all good things to go, go with. And last but not least is forgive. A lot of times we've got to forgive. And you're going to have to trust me in this. It doesn't sound, it doesn't even, it doesn't sound reasonable. But forgiving is more about your emotional and spiritual well-being than it is theirs. Your family's not going to be around forever. And when your family members die, the residual effect of bitterness and unforgiveness will stay with you. Whether they're asking, asking for forgiveness or not, forgive them. Many of these things are as unusual as a child sticking his hand in a den of snakes. And I do believe that there are situations and circumstances that we should never put ourselves in for our safety, for our emotional well-being, and for our spiritual health. But in cases where I feel like we can manage these things in a safe manner, then we need to employ some or all of these strategies. This year, I say we be bridge builders instead of burners. Peace isn't a lack of conflict, but it's the managing of the conflict in a productive manner with Christ-like posture. And this one acted upon this little shoot that springs up out of lifeless dead places in our own hearts should signify that we have faith and trust in a new kind of king, one who judges with righteousness and brings justice to the poor and marginalized. He brings a new kind of power to the powerless and renewed hope for a peaceable though unlikely kingdom. Isaiah says it pretty plainly in this passage that we're not to usher in this new era, but God is. So we might think that Isaiah's call is not a call to action, but to hope. But at the end of the day, hope is action. And we're to proclaim the hope that we have, especially in the season of Advent and Christmas. So remember, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you. Um, for the opportunities that you're going to give us this Christmas. I pray that, uh, that, we, that we're prepared, that we pray for um, the opportunities to live in peace with those that we haven't been able to yet. And God, as you, as you direct us, as you shape us, as you move us, I pray that your Holy Spirit show up and that you're glorified in it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.